The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. I get excited about the Scripture every time that we get into the Word. I mean, the, the, the Word of God is the power of God to save to all who would believe. And I'm standing here as a believer for multiple reasons. Uh, one, I've seen the results of the Word of God active in my life. I remember when I became born again and began to read the Scripture, I realized this is more than just a book. It's, it's more than just a, a series of, of writings to be read that are meant to have an impact on our, our lives. Rather, this is God's counsel and direction for my life. I really felt like the Bible was a friend. That may sound kind of weird, but when you read in the Scripture that the Word of God is living and active, that should make sense. I mean, you're communicating with Jesus Christ. His name is the Word of God. As we get into the scripture this morning, I'm excited for the content and the topic that we're going to be on. I was moving in my spirit through the worship service to, to adjust a few things. I hope that uh, we stay on point and, and get where we need to go this morning. I want to give you a few things that we're going to get in the scripture here for you to look forward to. Uh, if you want to take some notes, I always encourage that. Uh, good note taking enables you to revisit the word in your own time. Uh, we're here together right now, but God is always speaking to us individually, and that's really awesome. If you get a chance to revisit your notes, there's a lot of uh, personal and individual revelation that can come from that time. Uh, if you want to, you can take these things down as things to look forward to. Uh, one that we're going to find is going to be what God loves. What God loves. Now, it's not exclusive. There are things in the scripture that God loves, but this is a specific thing that God loves. It's good to know that so that we can pursue loving that thing ourselves. I want to love the things that God loves, and I want to reject the things that God does not love. One of the things we're going to find is what God loves. Another thing that we're going to find is what we need to protect, uh, what we need to guard. There's a very specific part of our life that needs protection, and we'll see in the scripture what that is so that we can intentionally uh, provide that protection and fulfill that call uh, to guard that element of our life. A third thing that we're going to find is the key to a life of satisfaction. The key to a life of satisfaction. I mean, when you look at the, the, the things that exist in the world, you know, in our culture, you can see that this is something that people desire. Now, I'm talking about even in the world. I mean, you'll hear songs like, I can't get no... Yeah, there you go. So it's in the culture, right? And I mean, I found myself driving home from a, a job site and things had kind of gone upside down. It was a little late and, and uh, had a, a playlist playing there. And there was a song that had come on. And the whole point of the song was about a mother wanting her, her child to grow up and live a satisfied life. It's a pretty interesting song to listen to. But as I was listening to it, I was thinking... What an, what an interesting concept that this culture really desires satisfaction. That tells me that it can be hard to come by sometimes. It can be missing. But we'll see one of the keys to living a life of satisfaction so that we don't just come across it accidentally, but we can live in an intentional way to open up the door for satisfaction to be the result. Uh, so I want to get into the Word. I told you we're going to find out what God loves. I want to start there. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go to the book of the Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 11, verse 7. 
Psalm 11, verse 7. Psalm 11, verse 7. It reads like this. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. And the righteous will behold his face. Now, some of your translations may say upright. Uh, it's all going to mean the same thing. We're going to go with the word righteous for today's message, for the sake of today's message. But I want to pause this, and I want to look at this verse. The Lord is righteous. I mean, you can stop right there and realize God's identity is being revealed to us. God is righteous. It's who he is. And then it goes on to say now that he loves righteousness, and that those that are righteous will see him, will behold his face, will will have a fellowship and contact, relationship with him. I mean, you've got to understand the Psalms are, are written for uh, musical purposes and poetry, and you're allowed to read between the lines and ask yourself, what does that mean? What does it mean to behold God's face? What does it mean if I were to go and behold my wife's face? Well, it would mean, one, I'm not at work. I'm at home. That's a good thing. It would mean that I'm in her presence and we're connected. We're close enough to see each other, that we are now... Uh, in a position where we can communicate and connect. I mean, to behold one's face is really a, a great and powerful thing. So when we see here in the Psalms that God is righteous, that he loves righteousness, and that the righteous or the upright will behold his face, we've got a wonderful and rich piece of information to begin to dissect and apply to our life. The realization that God is righteous, everything that God is and all that he will do will be righteous, and that he now then loves righteousness causes me want to causes me to pause and ask myself, what is that? I mean, what does it mean to be righteous? What is righteousness? Now, I often turn to the dictionary and begin to, to look up words, and sometimes you can run into, you know, a bind when you look up words in the dictionary. Like, you might look up, you know, the word righteous, and it might say, oh, the state of righteousness. And then you look up the word righteousness, and it says to be righteous. And you're thinking, like, well, that doesn't help me at all, right? You know? But here, I want to give you a definition of righteous. Righteous. The condition that is acceptable to God. That is the definition that I want to, to put in my life. If something is righteous, it is in the state that is acceptable to God. Whether it's words spoken, those words would be spoken in a way that are acceptable to God. Actions performed, if they're righteous, actions that would be acceptable to God. These are things that are in line with how God would call us to function, how God would call us to operate, or to pull from Jesus how God himself would do it. Remember Jesus said, I say what I hear my father speaking, I do what I see my father doing. These would be things that would be in line with what would be acceptable to God. And when you consider the word righteousness, uh, I, I always was horrible in English class, but I'm still a little bit infatuated with, with the idea of the language and how it would be written. That, that suffix, N-E-S-S, -S, introduces a change to the word righteous. I mean, if something is righteous, and that means it's acceptable to God, then righteousness would have a, a little bit of a tweak to it. That suffix, N-E-S-S, ness, transitions a word from being a descriptive word to being a, an identifying word. Let me just read this to you. To add the suffix ness is to take an adjective to a noun. So an adjective is a descriptive word, and a noun, as we would know it in grade school, would be like a person, place, or thing. This would take something that would be descriptive, like righteous, 
and it would make it an identity. By definition, that, that word righteousness is a state of being righteous. It's when the things that please God or the way that God would do things become a part of who you are. Not just something that is done on occasion, but rather a part of your identity. So when I read that passage from the Psalms, I see God is righteous and he loves it when his ways become a part of my life. When his ways become who I am and how I do things. When his ways become the the way that I think, the way that I speak, the way that I perform. It's pleasing to him. I want to give you another passage from the Psalms to, to bear witness. Psalm 33 verse 5, God loves righteousness and justice and the earth is filled with the loving kindness of the Lord. I want to talk to you for just a moment about the lifestyle that we're called to as Christians. I want to give you a passage of scripture here from the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. I want to look at 1 John chapter 2, specifically uh, verse 29. That Christianity is more than simply following a series of rules to attempt to do what's right, but rather it's letting our lives be transformed by the things that are pleasing to God so that we might begin to do those things in the same manner in which he does them. It's not just a matter of trying to decide the difference between right and wrong, but it's a matter of asking God to change our heart and our mind so that we desire the things that are right. That righteousness become our identity, a state of being righteous in everything that's said and everything that's done. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, it reads like this. If you know that he, now that's God or Jesus, if you know that God is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is from him or born of him. It's a pretty simple passage of scripture identifying that as we as Christians are following after the apostle who is Jesus Christ, as being little Christs or Christians walking as disciples of our Messiah, our King, Jesus, we'll look like him. We'll do the things that he does. We'll say the things that he says. We'll begin to mimic and imitate all that he is. This passage of scripture simply confirms that as we begin to mimic Jesus Christ, that that state of, of being a mimic, that state of duplication or reciprocation of the things that we see him do will be acts and deeds of righteousness. Again, the scripture says we know he's righteous, therefore everyone who is following him will be practicing righteousness. I want to, uh, to move into to righteousness and its importance. Uh, I feel in my spirit like righteousness is under attack on levels that are off the charts. I mean, I remember my life in my youth. I've grown for years as a believer. I now have children myself, and I watch the things that they endure and that they walk through and the culture that they are surrounded by. And I feel like righteousness is being assaulted in new and increasingly foul ways. And I think there's a reason for this assault on righteousness. And I think as we begin to see how important righteousness is, what it is, what it does, we'll come to understand its value and why it's under such attack. I'll give you a passage of scripture here why righteousness would be such a high value target. Uh, Psalm 97 verse 2, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Now, it's really easy when we're reading the Psalms to to just read right through these things because it's so poetic that that we can get lost in the poetry. 
But if we stop and we think about this, this is revealing a tremendous amount of information to us that, that the thing that holds up everything that is God and his kingdom is righteousness. If righteousness is to be removed, then everything is to fall. It's the reason why we celebrate God's holiness. Think about all of the things that God is and consider what the scripture reveals to us. In scenes of heaven in Revelation, there are, are, are created beings that declare God's holiness for all of eternity. Now, I can think of a number of things that they could declare that would be right. They could declare his love. They could declare uh, that he's, he's faithful. They could declare kindness. They could declare mercy. But the scripture is, is very clear that this declaration that's made for all eternity is holiness, perfection, complete righteousness. Righteousness is the foundation of God's throne. To attack righteousness in my life is to attack the very foundation that everything the kingdom of God is built upon. I mean, I've often wondered why there would be any attempt to, to tempt me into sin. I mean, I'm born again. I, I've, I've called upon the name of Jesus Christ. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. My sins, past, present, and future, are wiped away. Why in the world would there be any attempt to cause me to do unrighteous things? Why would there be a, an attempt to, to, to pull me in that direction? But to undermine the authority of Jesus Christ in my life. To try to pull the rug out from under the throne, so to speak. In this case, foundation. Righteousness is at the foundation of his throne. I'll give you a passage of scripture here again from Psalm 89. I want to look at verses 14 through 17. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Loving kindness and truth go before him. How blessed are those who know the joyful sound or the good news. O Lord... Walk in the light of your countenance and let me call upon your name and rejoice all day. By your righteousness, we are exalted. For you are the, our glory, our strength, and by your favor, we are exalted. Interesting passage of scripture once again declaring righteousness being at the foundation of God's throne. But what I'd like to lay emphasis on here is that it's the idea that it is God's righteousness that brings about exaltation in your life. That it's his righteousness that opens the door for exaltation in my life. To read the words of the psalmist again, by your righteousness we are exalted. Righteousness is this wonderful uh, uh, release from captivity and all that would bring bondage and all that would bring suffering and sorrow. God has paid the highest price to bring righteousness into our life through the shedding of the blood of Jesus. Everything that we celebrated moments ago in communion is a celebration of the introduction of righteousness into our lives. Righteousness is important and a high priority. I want to offer a, a couple of thoughts concerning righteousness and, and what's necessary for righteousness to be cultivated in our lives through our choices, our decisions, our attitudes, and our actions. And I want to offer this first and foremost. No righteousness is possible without Jesus Christ. The scripture would say that our righteousness in and of ourself is as filth, but that all thanksgiving should be offered unto Jesus God has made a way through Jesus for righteousness to prevail in our lives. It's 100% the mercy and the grace of God, the power of the blood of Jesus. Now, how we live our lives within this wonderful gift of mercy and grace affects what choices and decisions are made in our life, which affect the results of those choices and decisions, 
which open up the door for us to be intentional and choose what is pleasing to the Lord. I want to give you a passage of scripture of the things that we ought to pursue. Uh, Luke chapter 6 uh, talks about, excuse me, not, not Luke chapter 6, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the, the pieces of the armor of God. The pieces of the armor of God and, and they're necessary for us to resist the, the things of the devil, the evil that exists in the world. You can take a look at what Paul writes in Luke chapter 6 and you can see that without these elements active in our life, it'll be very difficult to resist the evil influence that's in the world and in the culture today. And as he begins to, to minister the things that are necessary in order to resist unrighteousness that's in the world, he begins to list pieces of armor. And by the time you get to, to like verse 16 around uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, you'll find that there is a, a specific piece that's absolutely necessary involving righteousness. In fact, it's Ephesians 6.14. It's a call to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's just an interesting thing to, to consider. I mean, Paul could easily simply say that in order to resist the devil and in order to, to live our lives in a godly way, we're going to need righteousness. But that he gives this example of righteousness being the, the element that would protect and guard your heart. As these pieces of armor all have an assignment to guard the head, to guard the feet, to, to guard the torso, and to guard uh, different parts of the body, and then some that are offensive and some that are defensive, a sword and a shield, that that which would guard the heart would be identified as righteousness. I believe that righteousness is under attack today because your heart is under attack. Your heart is where God is at work. Your heart is, is the thing that God is valuing and, and continuing to perfect and work as he continues to perfect and work in your life through Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the call upon our life is to protect and guard our heart by guarding it with the things that are pleasing to God. To guard our heart with righteousness. I want to call you to Luke chapter 6 for a moment. We mentioned Ephesians chapter 6, looking at that piece of armor. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, something very profound is spoken about concerning your heart. Luke chapter 6 is where you'll find Jesus ministering what we call the Beatitudes, where he begins to preach and speak the Word of God in profound ways that, that are, are touching people's lives by the Holy Spirit. There's, there's a, a masses that are coming into awareness of what God is doing. And as he begins to close this message, he says something really profound and incredible as you get to verse 45. He says, A righteous man, out of a righteous treasure in his heart, will bring out what is righteous. The evil, out of the evil treasure of the heart, will bring out that which is evil. And then it closes with this. For the mouth speaks the things that are in the heart. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of an interesting passage of Scripture to think of all the things that he's speaking about. He's speaking about the blessing of God on your life, uh, uh, on uh, pursuing the things that are pleasing to God. He's identifying all of the, the call to function and operate in a manner to pursue the things that God would call us to pursue. And as he begins to close the message, he identifies that righteous things will come from a righteous heart. That righteousness and the state of an individual's heart go hand in hand. And then he begins to reveal the, the way that we can examine and test this. 
I want to offer this to you as, as a, a test to examine the state of one's heart. He goes on to say that the things that proceed from the mouth will reveal the things that are in the heart. This is spoken again in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. I want to give you another test here as we examine our hearts for the righteousness that God's called us to uh, from Proverbs 15, 28. This one can be a bit of a, a challenge that, that we can examine. Look at how we handle day-to-day -day communication specifically in conflict, and we can begin to measure whether or not we're walking in righteousness based on how our lives line up with this call in Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 28, it reads like this. The heart of the righteous will ponder how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked will pour out evil things. It's an interesting thing to consider that a righteous heart will be patient, slow to speak, will think about what they're going to say before they say it. But that a heart that is void of righteousness or struggling with righteousness is going to speak rashly, quickly, without thought. Now I begin to look at this passage of scripture and apply it to my life and think, oh my goodness, I need some work in my heart. Because it's very easy for me when someone speaks or provokes to want to fire right back. But we'll stand out as different in this world when we walk in God's call to be righteous, to be slow to speak. And I consider the call from James to be, you know, slow to speak, to be, to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. I look at our King Jesus and think about how many times he's tested and provoked in ways that would have caused me to fly off the handle instantly, but yet he'll sit and listen and then give a calculated response. I mean, oftentimes when I've dealt with that, and I've, I've dealt with that in marriage, and I raise children, so there's plenty of opportunity for there to be provocation that could get a, a quick and, and, and harsh response. I work with people. I have people that I work for and people that work for me. So there's plenty of opportunity to, to be provoked and, and be in a position to give a quick and a harsh response. But in the past, when I would try to minister to this situation, I would pray for something. And, and, and I know God's merciful. I don't think that, that there's any legalism that will define God's work in our lives. But I would be praying for the wrong thing. I would be praying for, you know, patience. Oh, God, give me patience to not just fly off the handle, you know. And now what I see is I need to pray for righteousness. God, give me righteousness so that I'll stop being a jerk. Give me righteousness in my heart because it's the righteous heart that will ponder what to say when provocation comes. And understanding the solution to the problem is the first step to seeing the solution carried out. If I went to a, a, a doctor and I had an ailment, I wouldn't want that doctor to say, well, close your eyes, reach into the medicine cabinet, and whatever you grab, take that, and let's see if that works. Right? We wouldn't want just random attempts at success. We would want to apply uh, wisdom and understanding. And this is an interesting way to apply wisdom and understanding. If I need to be uh, slower to speak, if I need to not be so quick to say hurtful, cutting things, if I need my heart to ponder what to say in a situation and then bring about that thing that is productive in the situation, based on this passage of Scripture, the solution is righteousness. Because a righteous heart will ponder how to answer. It's a wonderful thing to let the word do what the word does. Lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. Teach us in how we should pray and the things that we need to pursue. 
So I want to give a, a couple of passages of scripture here concerning the heart. You know, what, what is the result of, of this work, this righteous work, the thing as we, we look at our heart, as we examine our heart. I mentioned to you before that we were going to find the thing that we needed to protect, the thing that we needed to guard. I'll give you that passage of scripture now, Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23 reads like this. From the King James Version, it reads like this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 out of the new, uh, uh, or excuse me, the, the NIV, New International Version. Above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it. I mean, consider that for a second. Everything you do flows from it. No wonder your heart would be ground zero for any attack from your enemy. No wonder your heart would be priority one for your loving Heavenly Father to go to work in. The call to guard and to protect our heart is the call to to open up the door for consistent righteousness in our life. And that righteousness then resulting in the effects that make us do the things that God does those things that are acceptable to him, those things that are pleasing to him based on the definition that we read, the condition that is acceptable to God. I want to give you a passage of scripture here because I know that the the world is, is hurting. I mean, you don't have to go very far in our own city, in our own community to see needs, people that are are suffering. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that opens up a a, a door for solution solution to the things that exist in the community around us. That passage of scripture is from the Proverbs 17.22. 17.22, it reads like this, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up bones. Now, it, it doesn't seem to have a whole lot of context right now in the scripture, but bear with me for a moment. When I consider some of the hurts and wounds of people around me, when I consider the times when I've been in need of ministry, I think this description is fitting. The idea that there could be a broken spirit, that there would be a sense of being dry. But to see that the solution to this brokenness and this dryness is in the heart. A joyful heart is good medicine. Tells me a couple of things. That the cure to this brokenness, the cure to this dryness is going to be a joyful heart. Sometimes that joyful heart might be a direct impartation. Other times that joyful heart may be exposure to those that carry that. I have been in a state of frustration before, been around people that walk in a joyful heart, and it was medicinal. It was helpful. I mean, I don't think I'm alone when I could say something like this. There are people that I would prefer to be around over others. There are some that I'm drawn to because when I'm around them, I feel inspired. I feel like there's hope. I feel like there's victory. And there are others when I'm around them, I feel the opposite. And my tendency would be to gravitate toward the one that would be considered good medicine in that situation. So not only is God revealing the solution to that broken spirit and that dryness as the joyful heart, but rather I believe he's also calling us to be a joyful heart in order to provide that medicine to those around us. To live our lives in such a way that we influence people in the right direction. Now here's where this applies to the message as we talk about righteousness today. I want to give you a passage of scripture uh, from the psalm. Psalm 45.7. Psalm 45.7. Now remember, 
we're talking about righteousness, its value and its importance. It's the foundation of God's throne. Uh, it, it's the call that, that is bestowed upon our life as we call upon the blood of Jesus for salvation. Psalm 45, 7, it reads like this. You have loved righteousness and you have rejected wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of joy above all others. Pretty interesting passage of scripture. I mean, you're, you're getting this, this uh, uh, cause and effect. Cause, loving righteousness and rejecting wis- uh, wickedness. Effect, God is anointing us with the oil of joy. Why would God bring the oil of joy in my life but that I might carry the medicine that is the cure for the disease that's in this world? The dryness, the depression, the emptiness, the brokenness. And all through a heart that would be filled with joy as a result of embracing and celebrating what is pleasing to God. Embracing righteousness, rejecting wickedness, opening up the door for joy in my life. I mentioned to you we're going to find the key to a life of satisfaction. I want to offer that to you right now in closing. There's not one of us in this room that has, is without you know, uh, desires that are, are being fulfilled or yet to be fulfilled where satisfaction would bring about a, a great celebration. The scripture is, is very clear that desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Matthew as we close. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. That passage of scripture in closing is one that opens up a door for direction, it gives instruction, and it offers promise. It it opens up a, a, a direction for me to pray in my life that this call to hunger and thirst for righteousness is what's necessary for the resulted promised satisfaction. So as I take this and apply it to my prayer life, it's God... Bring an appetite for righteousness into my life. I want to hunger and thirst for the things that are pleasing to you. I want to desire and need the things that are acceptable to you. Let appetites be transformed in my life. If it's not pleasing to you and I hunger for it, let that appetite be abandoned. And let a new appetite be formed that I would truly desire the things that are pleasing to you. It's a great way to introduce that passage into your prayer life. And then to stand upon the the promise of that. Any area in my life where where there's an absence of satisfaction, I'd like to take this passage of Scripture and apply it. Father, in what areas do I need to introduce righteousness to be satisfied in raising my sons? In what areas is righteousness needed to be injected into my marriage to see satisfaction in, in marriage, in what areas of, of ministry or business you can fill in any blank that you want, is righteousness needing to be injected in order for your promised satisfaction to result. And let that righteousness be viewed as necessary. I love the words hunger and thirst. Because of the, the, the place where we live and, and much of our upbringing for many of us, These words are not as urgent as they truly are in the scripture. Though almost everyone in the room has been hungry before, very few in the room have ever suffered hunger. 
These are words of urgency and desperation. To think about hunger, if hunger goes unsatisfied, what is the result? Death. If thirst goes unsatisfied, what is the result? Death. This is a a, a call of urgency. I want to hunger and thirst for the things that are pleasing to you. I want my mind and my heart to come into alignment and agreement with the truth that if I don't embrace the things that are pleasing to you, if I don't pursue the things that are pleasing to you, if I don't become the things that are pleasing to you, it will not result in life and prosperity. Rather, it will result in sorrow and separation. Change my appetites within me that I might hunger and thirst for the things that bring about promised prosperity, and the promise of satisfaction. It's a pretty urgent call. And it's intended to be urgent for a purpose. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us this morning before we part ways. Righteousness is an interesting concept to discuss, and it's filled with with all kinds of, of... opportunities to pull from one verse or another verse in order to establish a point. I mean, it's a, it's a pastor's dream come true for, for sermon writing. But this morning, I want to emphasize one element of righteousness that I, I think is important for all of us. For the majority of my life as a believer, I would spend my life desiring to be protected from temptation and protected from sin and, and delivered from evil, which are wonderful and powerful prayers to pray. But I see righteousness as not being defensive, but rather offensive. I don't want to just be shielded from the the wickedness that exists in the world, the magnified wickedness in our current day, uh, today's culture. I don't just want to be shielded from that. Rather, I want to go on the offensive. I want my life to begin to do the things that are pleasing to you. I don't want to just live a life of not failing, but rather I want to be successful. I don't want to just not stumble and fall, but rather I want to run, and I want to run far and hard for the kingdom of God. Righteousness is a very offensive attitude and a very offensive mentality. Not offensive in the way that it would make someone angry, but offensive as in it is on the offense. It is moving forward. It is how we gain ground. And that's what I want in my life. I want to pursue and hunger and thirst for righteousness so that I wouldn't simply live a life hoping not to fail, but that I might live a life making intentional choices and decisions that bring about success. And I think that's the life of satisfaction that's promised to the one that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. I want to pray for us this morning. Where where you stand, I want to ask, you're welcome to be in a state of agreement or receiving I want to pray for us collectively, knowing that the Holy Spirit is the most effective and powerful minister in the room. And I want to offer this to you before we pray, that the Holy Spirit's work in our life and through our life brings about a number of wonderful manifestations, the gifts and the anointing of God flowing through our lives. Also, the voice and the counsel of God, bringing about conviction and direction. And as I pray this morning, I want to trust that that voice is present in your life specifically. That if there are things that God is calling you to lay down, that those things be freely laid down. If there are things God is calling you to take up, that you hear clearly 
the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning and take those things up. I want the things that are getting in the way of righteousness to be removed and the things that bring righteousness to pass in our life to be embraced. That's the point of the prayer. So let's pray. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We surrender our hearts and minds to be affected by your counsel and your direction. Let each of us hear you clearly, individually. As we would receive your word, let it have its way in our lives. That collectively we would grow as a congregation and individually we would mature and advance in the things of your kingdom. And right now I ask in Jesus' name, let any hindrance to righteousness be uncovered that it might be repented of, renounced, and turned away from. And let there be a pursuit of righteousness. That it wouldn't simply be a, a part of our Christian vocabulary, but that it would be a priority in our lives. Let us seek after it in our prayers. Let our actions come into agreement with those prayers. That we would truly pursue the things that are acceptable to you that we would reject the things that you hate, that we would embrace the things that you love. Let there be a, a, a transformation of appetites in this room right now, that new appetites would be formed, that we would hunger and thirst for the things that are pleasing to you, that there would be a, a, an intense desire in us, a drive in us to see the things that are pleasing to you celebrated and carried out. And let the promised result of satisfaction Bring about that joy-filled heart that is medicine to this world. Let it be evangelistic. That is the overflow of joy and celebration of the satisfied life that you've called us to is revealed to this world. Many would see and call upon your name in response. We give you thanks for the wonders of the blood of Jesus, that righteousness is available to us. Let it be embraced. Let it not be taken for granted. And let it have its way in our lives that we would cast down the things that are not pleasing to you and embrace and take up all that is. We give you thanks for that promise of victory, that promise to overcome, that promise to be satisfied, and let that satisfaction bring you honor and glory as we live out our lives of righteousness according to your will. We bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.org.